0: If you uh, flip over one more page there to page 10, you'll, you'll see the words printed uh, for Genesis chapter 37. And uh, we are back in the book of Genesis starting this week, and we'll, uh, we'll be in, in Genesis pretty much all the way up until December uh, with a couple uh, breaks in between. But um, here's where we are, I, if, if uh, particularly just to remind you, we are working through. Uh, the Book of Genesis and the Book of Romans uh, in concert as conversation partners to help us to to understand how does the whole Bible fit together and uh, We just finished the middle section of Romans nine through eleven last week, and uh, this morning we 're going to pick back up in the last main section and in the book of genesis and if I, If I could summarize for you what is the book of Genesis? really all about. It is a a good news book. It is a good news book written to God's people on the way to the promised land after 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And in fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in his letter to the Galatians that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham when he said that through your family, through your offspring, I will bless the nations And yet, as we have seen, if you recall at all, uh, this book makes no attempt to hide or explain away the moral, moral failure of the characters or to hide or explain away the darkness of the human heart. And so on the one hand, throughout this book, what we have here is we have God's good news being preached through the realities of life as we know it through the moral failures of human beings and through the darkness of our hearts, that those two things go hand in hand in the story of the Bible. And so when we come to chapter 37, there is a transition here. And if you look here, we're going to read this in just a moment. But if you look here, verse 1, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. Verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob. Now, where we are in the story is... We are now transitioning from the story of Isaac and his family, which really focused on Jacob and Esau, and especially Jacob. Now we are focusing on Jacob and his family. The main character of which we're going to see this morning is Joseph. And I just want to remind you what, what is happening here. We're following out what God had said to Abraham That through your offspring, through your descendants, I'm going to bless the whole world. So we had the story of Abraham and the birth of Isaac. And then we had the story of Isaac and the birth of Jacob and Esau. And then we had the story of Jacob when he's off in a distant land at his uncle Laban's house. And he ends up marrying Leah and Rachel and having 12 sons. And now what we're going to see is how does the story continue to unfold? And and what I want you to see here, right at the beginning, I want to just make a simple point. Uh, Perhaps you might not hear or remember anything from this morning. I just want you to think about this. The point of these stories is really to remind you That God has chosen to work through this particular family. Not because they are the model family. But precisely because they are not. And what that means. Before we even begin to unpack this next phase of the story. That means there is always hope for you. There is nothing about the characters of the Bible. That are presented to you as unqualified examples to follow. If anything, they are unqualified examples not to follow. <laughs> and yet, God continues to bring about his promises for the good of his people. Now, that, that does not mean there aren't real consequences. That does not mean there are not real hurts and pains, some of which don't go away. But what I want you to hear at the very beginning is that there is a God at work who is bigger than all of that, and that's what we're going to see in the story, especially in the story of Joseph. So I've got two points for us this morning, and then we're going to read this chapter together. Uh, The two points we're going to look at this morning are the reality of family strife and the mystery of providence, the reality of family strife and the mystery of providence, and I I want to read the whole chapter, and so you can follow along as we do that in in, in your worship folder or on your phone or your Bible, or just feel free to listen, and uh, and then we'll we'll take a look at this uh, first chapter in the last section here of Genesis. So listen as we read from Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more. For his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars are bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And the man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near, near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer, come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to him, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, where their camels, with their camels bearing gum, balm and myrrh, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judas said to his brothers, "What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come." Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, "'The boy is gone.' And I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is with, without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and Put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so here's where we are. We got our two points for you this morning, the the reality of family strife and the mystery of providence. I I just want to reflect on the story that we just read for a few minutes under this idea of the reality of family strife. And since it's a long chapter, particularly if you you like to kind of have notes, think of it like this. We're going to look at uh, Joseph hated, verses 2 to 11, and then Joseph sold. Verses 12 to 36. So first, why is Joseph so hated? Just to to give you an idea of, of what we're doing here. 21 times in this chapter, the term brother is used. The relationship between these brothers is front and center in this family. And in this first section, verses 2 to 11... There is an escalating amount of hatred that is building towards Joseph from all of his brothers, and the question is why. Well, if you look here, first of all, uh, notice Joseph, he is the firstborn of Rachel, who was back in the story of, of Jacob, Rachel was Jacob's favorite. And Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. And here what I want you to see is the first thing that Jacob does or Joseph does is that he sends a bad report. He tattletales. He tells on his brothers about what they're doing. He doesn't specify exactly what, but Joseph in verse 2 comes and tells his his dad, hey, my brothers are screwing up. And not only that, we're told in verse 3 that Joseph is Jacob's favorite. So here you have a tattletale who on his brothers and that Jacob favors Joseph over all the other brothers. And he actually proves it by giving him this this beautiful robe, this robe of many colors. And you can see here that Jacob his sons, his other 11 sons, are hurt by this. No one likes to be second favorite. Here you have a family dynamic of a father favoring one son over all the others, and it's creating hurt and hatred. And not only that, Joseph has these two dreams in verse 5 through 11. The upshot of these two dreams, Joseph is essentially saying to all of his brothers, uh, you're going to bow down to me. And, uh, and in fact, the second dream suggests that the sun and the moon are Joseph's parents, the stars are his brothers, that his whole family is going to bow down to him. So here you have this insufferable smug, tattletale brother who's daddy's favorite and you can just kind of feel the hatred and the jealousy mounting and growing now what happens here what are the brothers going to do with this brother well that brings us to the the second part of this story in verses 12 to 36 where Joseph is sold. Here's how this comes about. The opportunity for these brothers to do something to this favored son comes when Jacob says to Joseph, hey, I want you to go check on your brothers who are in Shechem. Now, that might not mean much to you until you flip back a few chapters and you remember the story of Dinah who's one of... Jacob's daughters, and the way in which one of the sons of Shechem treats her. and Le- Levi and Simeon, the the three, the number two and three in line of Jacob's sons, end up leading this charge that leads to a slaughter in Shechem. So it's understandable that J- Jacob might be a little worried about how are his sons doing in this place where. They've already caused a problem, and so Jacob says to Joseph, "Please, please go check on on your brothers." And yet, I do find it a bit interesting that Jacob would send Joseph to go check on his brothers. Uh, it, it's a little hard to imagine Jacob doesn't have some sense that perhaps Joseph is not uh, their favorite, and you wonder what will happen. And as we find out, there are two plots to deal with Jacob or t- with Joseph. The first one is straightforward. Let's just kill him. Let's just get rid of him. Now, this might sound kind of odd, but this is one of the things I love about the Bible. Because I venture to guess, if we're honest, every one of us in this room has had that thought about someone in your life. Wouldn't my life be better... If I could just rid the face of the earth of that person. Now, we would never say that in public. Maybe you might say it to a trusted confidant. But here it is just out in the open. All these brothers, let's just kill them and be done with it. The Bible can be pretty uncomfortably honest. And it's inviting you to be that honest, but in the in the effort to make this first plot unfold, Reuben who is, Reuben is the oldest of Jacob's sons, and so how you need to know how this works is when they're away from from home, Reuben is in charge. all of the brothers are under his care and protection, and so he hears about this plot to kill Joseph, and Reuben says, "No wait, let's." Let's not do that. Let's just throw him in one of these big pits, which these big cisterns, they held water. And he convinces the brothers to do that. And his plan is to, at some later point, come back to uh, rescue Joseph and to return him to his father. And for some reason, the, the passage doesn't tell us. They all agree to do that, but then Reuben sort of disappears from from the story for a little bit. And while he's gone, uh, they're all sitting down, having a meal, and Judah, who is uh, the number three or four in line, he ends up uh, having an idea, well, let's, if we're not going to kill him, let's not kill him. He is at least one of our brothers. Let's not go that far, but let's just sell him. Let's make some money off of this. And so they all agree to do that. And as uh, Reuben is still away. There are some traders who come and are on the way to Egypt, and they all agree to, to sell uh, Joseph to these traders, to the Ishmaelites, for 20 shekels of silver, and they take him off to Egypt. And then Reuben comes back. And as is consistent with Reuben's character, as we've seen in previous chapters, Reuben was supposed to be the one to succeed to be the successor of Jacob. But he's already proven that he's not a fit leader in previous chapters. And he proves it again here. Because when he discovers that Joseph is gone, he says, the boy is gone, and where shall I go? Now, you might not catch this, but as the oldest brother, there is an obvious answer of where Reuben should go. Reuben should go and get the brother from Egypt. But he says, I don't know where to go. Of course he knows where to go. He's failing to be a faithful elder brother here. And instead, what we see happen is all of these brothers hatch this plan to deceive Jacob. Now, you need to note something here. Jacob's sons, all 11 of them here, with the exception probably of Benjamin, who's maybe pretty small at this point, but they hatch a plan to deceive Jacob. Now, if you remember Jacob's story, he deceived his father, Esau. There is a sinister thread in this family of deception, of lies, of deceit, of shading the truth. And it continues to unfold. It is a sober warning to us about what happens when we allow untruth to win out in our lives. Particularly in our relationships with those to whom we are the closest. So here you have J- Joseph is hated and then he is sold but meanwhile, notice what we read here. At the very end, in verse thirty six, meanwhile, the Midianites, which is another term for the Ishmaelites, sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So here's where we are. Here was the plot of these brothers is to get rid of Joseph. But the end of this chapter suggests, and even the two dreams that Joseph had suggest, there is another storyline unfolding, which brings us here to the mystery of providence. There is a, the, the writer here, uh, as, as I want you to think about two things. We are the audience reading the story. And then you've got the characters who are in the story. And the writer of of Genesis is using what we would call dramatic irony. In other words, we as the audience who are reading the story are privy to details and information that the characters in the story are not. And that is really important for us to understand. Because to understand what it means to live the life of faith is to get that right. Right. That you are a character in your story. But there is one who stands outside of your story, who is privy to details and plans and purposes that you are not. And that person is described for us in the scriptures as God the Father, the perfect Father. So here when we come to the the idea of the mystery of providence, this whole story from 37 to 50 begs the question for us, it invites us to ask, what is God up to? How will God sort all of this out? Could any good possibly come from this story? Now how does the writer actually give us information as, the, as those who are uh, the audience that the characters don't have. Well, let me show you here. Look at these two dreams again. These two dreams that Joseph has where he describes a future event where all of his brothers are going to bow down to him. Where, in fact, his parents will come and bow down to him. Well, those events find their fulfillment when we flip over to chapter 41, in verses 40 to 41. Listen to what we read here. This is when Joseph is now in Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. The most powerful political figure in the known world says, you shall be over my house, and all my people shall, shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then we flip over to chapter, two, chapter 42, verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land there's a famine and Joseph was in charge of distributing the grain people from all over the known world were coming to Egypt Joseph is selling this grain to people all to people of the land and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground and as the story unfolds and we get to the end of the story here is what we're told In chapter 50, verses 19 to 21, when Joseph is reunited with his family and his brothers, Joseph says to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones." Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So, what I want you to see, we're going to look at the rest of this, this narrative in the coming weeks of Joseph's story in more detail. But I do want you to see at the very beginning, we are, being, we are clued into a mystery of providence. There is the storyline of this family, and it's a pretty ugly storyline. And it actually gets worse for Joseph. And he is a tattletale and he's daddy's favorite and you see transformation happen in his life through God's work in his life. And you also see change in his brother's life and his family's life through what God does. And what I want you to think about here, there are, if I could, suggest that there are two reactions that we might have to this story. And I want to... I want you to think about this. The the two reactions, in some ways, are embodied in the ways in which these brothers of Joseph react to these two dreams. Notice, they react with hatred and jealousy to God's mysterious providence. Now, they wouldn't call it that. They think it's just a smug, self-righteous little brother. But they respond to what God is doing with disdain and frustration and pride and hatred. But then notice another response is Jacob's response. Even though he rebukes Joseph because of the second dream, notice how it says here, his father kept this in mind. Those are two very different ways to respond to the realities and circumstances of your life that seem really clear to you, but as this story makes clear, they're not. And I want to suggest to get you to think about how do you tend to respond to what you can't see all the way to the end? Is it with anger and frustration and jealousy? Or is it with perhaps... Measured reflection, patience. Not ignoring what you don't know, not ignoring how that's hard, but there are essentially two responses here. Do we respond in anger or do we respond with questions and waiting? Now, as we follow this story through, and the reason I was spending time trying to get you to see the beginning to the end the details that that we as the audience are privy to that the characters are not is because this is where we find the good news. And it's a good news that you can live with and take with you into every single moment of every single day. And I want you to think about it like this. Think of here Joseph. Joseph, he is the beloved son. He's the favored son. And he's clothed in this robe And commentators debate about what kind of robe, but almost all see it as some form of a royal robe. That he is clothed in a robe that designates him as the beloved son who will rule and reign, and in doing so, bring about good for other people. But what happens in this story, this beloved son, he's hated by his brothers, he's stripped of his royal robe, and he is thrown into a pit left to die. And he's, in fact, sold off into slavery, only to everyone's great surprise to emerge years later as the one who redeems and saves. Now, I intentionally tell it to you that way because that is an echo of the good news of the gospel. Jesus, the beloved son, who's not a smug, prideful, tattletale, but a humble servant, who's stripped of his royal robes, who is forsaken, who is, in effect, sold off, who is crucified and killed, and to everyone's great surprise, is raised from the dead and becomes the savior not just of one family, but the whole world. That is God's mysterious providence. Bringing life out of death from a life that everyone thought was over, that was a total waste and failure, and yet it's precisely in and through that life that God does something beautiful. And in fact... You know the passage I read where, where Joseph says, do not be afraid. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people shall be kept alive as they are today. And I want you to put alongside that Jesus, hanging on the cross with two criminals on either side, stripped naked, cries out and says to his father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Here you have in Joseph a picture of what the true Redeemer looks like. And you have a picture of God bringing life out of death in a family that is shot through with anger and hostility, deception, jockeying for position. And yet, what this family intended for harm towards one another, God intended for good. And he brings them back together. He reunites them and he rescues them. So here's my question for you Are you struggling with what is going on in your life today? Are you wondering what God is up to? And if the answer to those questions is yes, where this story takes you is to the mystery of God's providence. That he doesn't keep away from you and keep secret from you, but he puts on full and public display in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because what he wants you to know is that what feels to you and really is hurtful and hard and painful, not even that can prevent God from, from bringing something beautiful out of it and it's the death and resurrection of Jesus that is the proof that God will in fact make all things new not just the creation over but for you let's pray together Father and so, Father, Son and Holy Spirit we give you thanks for this passage and this story and the ways in which it unfolds for us your character and the good news promised that you are at work. You're always at work. And you are at work especially through the realities of strife and, and hurt and deception and evil. But not even those things are more powerful than you. And so we ask for the grace to cling to the good news that you are a God who is at work and that you are good in everything you do and everything you say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.